You know, I was just uh, thinking, as uh, Ryan was mentioning there, uh, there's a list of churches on the back cover. You know, at the Cretia Museum in the Ark in America, and uh, I sometimes will uh, just go there to meet people and chat with them. And one of the things I find is the, the most asked question that I get asked from people all across America is, I'm from such and such a city in such and such a state. Do you know a church that takes the same stand Answers in Genesis does in our area? And that's the most asked question I get asked from people. I get it asked, I'd say, every time I meet guests at the Creation Museum in the Ark. So it is really true. I've had people even uh, in Australia ask the same sort of question. So it's great to have a list like that. And the sad aspect, the great aspect is there are churches that take a stand on God's word, as they should. The sad aspect is they're in the minority, and there's not a lot of them. Uh, but um, it's great that uh, we have pastors who will do that. Well, so what I wanted to do, I said, we're going to make this a, more, a lighter session in a way, but it's really continuing on thinking foundationally. And I, I decided to do this because I knew there was going to be kids here today, and also to be more in a sense, practical for us, and because whether you're kids or adults, people have questions uh, about dinosaurs. And so how do we deal uh, with uh, questions about dinosaurs? And what I want to do is to use the seven C's to do that. In other words, I said, if we truly understand what the Bible is, this is the record of the one who knows everything, who's always been there, who's given us the key events that we need to understand to then have the ability to build the right way of thinking. And when you think in terms of those seven C's, I'll do it in the third session as we talk about, we're going to answer questions like, where did Cain get his wife? How could Noah fit all the animals on the ark? Uh, how, how do different species form? How quickly can that happen? Uh, what about uh, the, the different people groups, uh, skin color? Uh, how do you explain all of that? And we'll deal with a number of different things. But again, we start with our anchor in Scripture and that history from Genesis. If you don't believe Genesis 1 to 11 is literal history, you're not going to be able to explain the origin of so-called races. You're not going to be able to explain dinosaurs. You're not going to be able to uh, e explain the fossils. You're not going to be able to explain... Uh, the world. I mean, and that's the problem. That's why so many people, I believe, in our churches are so confused. And there's so many adults that have come to me and said, I don't know what to do with dinosaurs. And I'm going to tell you, yes, you do, if you think foundationally and you believe God's word. And what I want to do is show you, you don't have to be a PhD expert. And I'm just going to give you the big picture understanding. And you'll find the kids will understand it, hopefully, and all the adults and so on. So we're going to think in terms of a perfect creation, marred by sin, sin and death enters, the flood of Noah's day, the Tower of Babel, to, up where, to where we are at the present time. Actually, when you think about it, here's what we're saying. This here, from creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion... Christ, cross, that's already happened, right? And when you understand that, you look at the world and say, oh, yeah, it's a world of death and life. It's a world of hate and love. Yeah, I understand, because it was a perfect world marred by sin. Oh, we've got fossils all over the world. Yeah, I, I understand the event of Noah's flood. Well, we've got all these different people groups, and actually, 
there are flood legends and creation legends in groups all across the world that even sound similar to Genesis. It's because they're all descendants of the people from the Tower of Babel going back to Noah. Okay, I, I, I understand that. We date our calendars from an event 2,000 years ago uh, from the one who stepped into history to be the babe in a manger, died on the cross, raised from the dead. And so all these events have already happened. So right now, we're somewhere here or here, maybe here, could be there. Maybe we're over there. Anyway, we're there somewhere. And you get the idea. And we're waiting for the new heavens and new earth, right? And as you put that together, see how this all fits together. It was a perfect creation. It'll be perfect one day in the future. Sin and death entered the world. That's why God's son died on a cross, to pay the penalty for sin and conquer death and offer a free gift of salvation. The flood of Noah's day, a judgment because of man's wickedness, but a message of salvation. God had Noah build an ark of salvation and one door in the ark, and only those who went through the one door were saved. God judged this world because of our sin, and he provided one door for salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the door. And the Tower of Babel reminds us we're all one race, we're all descendants of Adam, so we're all sinners, and so the gospel is for every tribe and nation. And it all fits together. And more and more we're finding uh, churches uh, all over the world, missionaries are using the seven C's because, you see, a lot of what's happened in our churches, we're teaching about all these different issues. Their kids are there and we teach all these different issues and doctrines and they don't know how it all comes together. But you start foundationally from the Bible, then you've got the anchor, and then you have the worldview, and then they understand it. So I'm going to do that with dinosaurs. And when you come to, notice I didn't say if, when you come to the Creation Museum and the Ark, okay, so at the Creation Museum we actually have a dinosaur exhibit. We have dinosaurs at the Ark too, but the, the, the primary exhibit on dinosaurs is at the Creation Museum. And the Ark concentrates on a number of different things, uh, different topics, but the Creation Museum is specifically a walk through the Bible. That's what it is, using life-size exhibits, walking you through. So mums and dads and kids, as they walk through, they learn, okay, perfect creation, marred by sin, the flood of Noah's day, the Tower of Babel, um, the gospel, and they get it. They understand. And then we answer the questions as you go through. So I'm going to use the seven C's to explain dinosaurs. Now... How do you do that? Well, based on the seven C's for the topic of dinosaurs, and this is in the book, Dinosaurs for Kids, which really means for big kids, little kids, old kids, young kids. That's what it means. I came up with seven, what I call the seven ages of dinosaurs. So I teach kids, who's heard of the supposed age of dinosaurs 65 to 200 million years ago and the hands all go up? Well, the next time somebody says, do you believe in the age of, age of dinosaurs, I want you to say, no, I believe there were seven ages of dinosaurs, right? And they're based on the seven Cs. And so here are the seven ages. First one is formed. Second one is fearless. Third one is fallen. Fourth one is flood. Then faded, found. And the age we live in today, it's called fiction, Right? Because we're told a lot of things that are fiction, not true, about life, about dinosaurs. And so let me show you, when you then take the seven ages of dinosaurs based upon the history in the Bible, based upon the seven seas, thinking foundationally, let's develop our worldview. 
So the question is, when were dinosaurs formed? Okay, so, and I'll get back to this a little later on, but the word dinosaur specifically refers to particular types of land animals, okay? So some people think that plesiosaurs, pterodactyls are dinosaurs. That's not true. The word dinosaur is specific for land animals, a group of land animals. So let's take what the Bible says, that God created everything in six days. That's a topic I'm going to deal with from a biblical authority perspective tomorrow in church here. Uh, and I believe those days were ordinary days. We'll talk, as I said, we'll talk about that tomorrow. But God created in six days. On day six, he created the land animals and man. Now, the word dinosaur refers to specific groups of land animals, which means, therefore... When were dinosaurs created? Well, what we call dinosaurs today would have been created on day six alongside of Adam and Eve. So therefore, Adam would have lived with dinosaurs. And I can prove that to you. I have a photograph that Eve took uh, in the garden. And you can tell the Garden of Eden was in Australia, uh, obviously. I had our artists do that. Okay. So see, stand back and think about this for a moment. Right? We, all, we get all perplexed about dinosaurs. No, they're just, they're, it's a name in 1841. We'll talk about that in a moment. It was invented in our modern time to uh, actually be a name for particular uh, groups of animals, but land animals. But God says all the land animals are made on day six. And if those days are ordinary days, and Adam and Eve were made on day six, then dinosaurs live with people. It's as simple as that. Can we really say that? Absolutely, on the basis of the authority of the Word of God. Now, how long ago was that? Well, if you add up all the dates in the Bible from the six days, Adam was made on day six. He had a son, Seth, when he was 130 years old. And then it tells us when Seth had a son. It tells you when people were born and when they died. You can actually add up all those dates. And you get to Abraham, you get to Christ, you get to today. It's about 6,000 years. Now, I teach children something that's very important. Because you'll have people say, no, 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 dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. And I want them to understand how to think about that. So in Job chapter 38 and verse 4, in the book of Job, God was talking to Job. And he said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And so I teach children this. The next time somebody says millions of years, <clears throat> in a very respectful way, in polite way, <clears throat> based on Job chapter 38, you say, excuse me. Were you there? Now, I've had students come back and say, Mr. Ham, we asked the evolutionists, were you there? And they said, no, we weren't, but you weren't either. What do I say now? I said, that's easy. You say, no, I wasn't there, but I know someone who was, and I have his word. Are you interested? <laughs> because, see, we have the word of one who knows everything, who's always been there, right? And see, when somebody mocks you and says, oh, wait a minute, scientists, scientists know dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. Well, how do you know? You weren't there. Right, And then we get intimidated and think, oh, can we really say that? If you really believe God's word, if it really is teaching that he made everything in six days, we can be bold and stand on God's word. It doesn't matter if they mock us. You know, they threw people to the lions in, in Rome. We haven't got to that stage yet. Okay, So a little mocking and scoffing isn't going to hurt us, is it? But a lot of times we, we don't like people to mock us and we shrink back. Why don't we stand bold? If you really believe God's word, Will we stand boldly on it, regardless of what the world thinks of us? Okay. 
So what we're saying is that all of these dinosaur types, Stegosaurus and Brachiosaurus and T-Rex and so on, uh, lived on day six beside Adam. And T-Rex, I tell kids, is my favorite dinosaur because I like his teeth. Right? It looks like some of your teacher's teeth and they smile at you sometimes, wanting your homework. Now, people say to me, now, okay, so you say God made dinosaurs. Why don't I find the word dinosaur in the Bible? Well, it's the same reason you don't find the word email in the Bible. Right? Email is a modern word. And email came after the curse. For anyone who has email, you know what I mean. It did come after the curse. So, in, our King, in the King James Bible, the King James Bible was first translated into English in 1611. I just put that as a, a reference point in history because the word dinosaur was first invented in 1841. So when people say, I've actually had people in churches tell me, well, if God made dinosaurs, why don't we find the word dinosaur in the Bible? That, that is such an ignorant, sorry, but it is, <laughs> ignorant statement. Because the word dinosaur is a made-up word by a human being, a man called Sir Richard Owen, famous British anatomist, who was looking for a word to describe uh, creatures. He'd found Megalosaurus and Iguanodon, and so he came up with the word dinosaur based on two Greek words, dinosaurus, which today we sort of loosely uh, translate that to mean terrible lizard. And that's, that's one of the reasons why people think all dinosaurs were great big monsters and terrible lizards and so on. But that's not true either. Uh, because we've actually found a lot of dinosaurs aren't that big. So it's very different to what people think. Most people, I find a lot of adults think dinosaurs are all these great big monsters. Well, there certainly were some great big creatures that we call dinosaurs, but not the majority of them. So if the word dinosaur was invented in 1841... If, if people were familiar with these in the past, I wonder if they had a name for them. Well, the interesting thing is we do find dragon legends in cultures all over the world. In fact, the flag of Wales has the dragon as a, a semblance. There are dragon heads. There's sculptures of St. George and the dragons. There's lots of, uh, dinos, uh, of dragon legends. And what we're suggesting to you is it's very possible because many of those dragon sculptures, descriptions do seem to fit with some of the dinosaur skeletons that we find. And we're suggesting that some of these dragon legends could actually be references to real animals. In other words, not just mythological stories, real animals. Maybe they've been embellished over time, but real animals and perhaps some of them were dinosaurs. Think about it. There are flood legends in cultures all over the world. Why? And at the Ark exhibit, we actually have a whole section on flood legends. Well, because... There was a real flood, Noah's flood. At the time of the Tower of Babel, when people split up and moved away, they took that account with them. Some of them embellished it, changed it. But you'll find, uh, even with uh, the Australian Aboriginal uh, people, uh, that some of their myths and legends have stories that sound like Noah's flood. And so the American Indians, the Fijians, the Hawaiians, Eskimos, all across the world, you find these flood legends, uh, going back to the Babylonians and... Uh, many, there are many elements similar to the Bible. Here's an interesting thing. This happens in the Christian world as well as in the secular world. Oh, the Babylonians have stories like the Jews in the Bible. It's obvious the Jews borrowed their stories from the Babylonians. That emphasis is even in our theological colleges, right? That, that Genesis was written in response to you know, the mythology of the day and so on. 
And, and that's a denial that, that the Bible is God's word, that is God breathed. But the point is, when you look at some of those legends, like the Babylonian legends, they, there's all sorts of different things, you know, God's cutting each other in half and water spewing out. And When you look at some of the, the uh, descriptions of the vessel that the people sailed in, they don't fit the description in the Bible and they certainly wouldn't fit the animals and certainly wouldn't float very well. You know what it reads like? I, it actually reads like the Bible is the original and the others are perversions, change versions of the original. You see, it's, it's interesting. The way things are taught in the secular world and Christian world, they get it the wrong way around. And the reason the Christian world gets it the wrong way around because they're so influenced by what the world teaches. And uh, so we think that it's very possible. Now, we can't be uh, dogmatically assert that. So instead, I'll dogmatically assert that it is possible that many of your dragon legends could actually be references to real creatures uh, that today we call dinosaurs. And then, uh, you know, people have this idea that all dinosaurs are great big monsters. Uh, actually, uh, that's not true because the average size of a dinosaur, there's two main groups of dinosaurs, and when you divide them into these two groups, the average size of one group is about the size of a, a, a bison, buffalo, and the average size of the other group is more like the size of a sheep or something like that. And so that's the average size. And there were those dinosaurs that were as small as chickens. I mean, if they'd have survived to today, I'm sure we'd have Kentucky Fried Dinosaur instead of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And here's the other interesting thing, and I'm not going to go into this in detail. We've actually got uh, in the new book, uh, Glass House, and in some of the other books too, we have information on this. But evolutionists believe that dinosaurs evolved into birds, right? And uh, so when they're eating Kentucky Fried Chicken, they believe they're eating dinosaur. Actually... Evolutionists today actually do say dinosaurs aren't extinct. Did you know that? You read some of the modern material on dinosaurs, they say they're not extinct because they're flying around your backyard. Uh, because they say modern birds are dinosaurs. We live not far from the Cincinnati Zoo, uh, which is said to be one of the leading zoos uh, in America, and they have a bird exhibit. You go into this uh, area uh, where all the birds flying around, and they have a sign, and it says... The dinosaurs went extinct millions of years ago, did they? No, birds are essentially modern short-tailed feathered dinosaurs. And uh, so we've got a number of articles on our website, I'm not going to get into that right now, uh, dealing with this issue of supposed feathered dinosaurs, and we would say, no, there are no feathered dinosaurs. It's one of the reasons why, too, it, it's interesting that, and this will come up at the end of the talk, but do you realise there's many animals living today of which the same kind are found in the fossil record at the same time evolutionists say that dinosaurs live, right? But they would never say that dinosaurs could, live, could have lived on in the present world because dinosaurs evolved into birds. It's all a part of their evolutionary uh, explanation. Well, I'll come back to that. So then people say to me, you really mean something with teeth like that live beside Adam? Wouldn't Adam have been worried when T-Rex was considering lunch? He might have been considering Adam for lunch. And the answer is no, because if you take God's word and God's word as written, originally all the animals were vegetarian. Genesis 1, 29 and 30. Genesis 1, 30 said the animals ate plants, right? Now, you'll be mocked at for believing that because people will say to you, T-Rex with sharp teeth, vegetarian, how stupid can you get? 
Really? Actually, you can point out how illogical they are when they say that, but we'll get back to that in a moment. And so we're at, we're gone through the first age of dinosaurs formed. Now, the next age of dinosaurs is fearless, okay? And the reason that uh, I say that, I'm just going to put my clock on here so that I remember what time it is. There we are. So anyway, days like a thousand years, I'll interpret it however I want. So <laughs> we've gone through formed and now fearless. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.29, God said uh, to Adam and Eve, you know, you can eat fruit and so on. And then he says, and to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And so originally, if we take God at his word, uh, they're vegetarian. Now, th there, you'll find people in the church, there are Christians who will say that, well, that doesn't mean they couldn't eat meat. If you look at Genesis 9.3, which is in reference to man, not the animals, but reference to man, but it's referencing back to Genesis 1.29 because it says, God says to Noah after the flood, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you as I gave you, just as I gave you the green plants. In other words, verse 29 of Genesis 1 means you, you were eating plants, you were vegetarian. Genesis 1.30 is written in the same way about the animals. And so it substantiates the fact that originally they were vegetarian. But now we were told we could eat meat. I suspect, well, we know that the animals were obviously eating each other before the flood because we find evidence of that in the fossil record. And remember, at the time of the flood, it says all flesh was violent. And so uh, it had deteriorated because of sin. Originally, God said everything was very good. So, as I mentioned to you, when you look at the fossil record, which has evidence of animals eating each other, how could that be if the Bible is right? They were all vegetarian to start with. And also in the fossil record, evidence of diseases, well documented. There's whole science of paleopathology deals with that. How could they exist and God call that very good? So originally, and I like to show people in America this, this is what our diet looked like because this is a picture from what we have in Australia. Uh, so there we are, T-Rex chomping away on fruits and plants. And that's when people say, that's ludicrous. T-Rex has sharp teeth. Just because something has a sharp teeth doesn't mean it's a meat eater. It just means it has what? Sharp teeth. See, T-Rex has sharp teeth. That's true. But you would need sharp teeth if you're going to chomp away on certain fruits and vegetables. Look at this skull here. You look at that skull and say, well, that's a savage beast. What did it eat? Well, it's actually the skull of the giant panda and its main diet is bamboo. Or look at this animal here, you say, what does that eat? Well, that little animal flies around Australia and it just rips into fruit. Just because an animal has sharp teeth doesn't mean it's a meat eater, it means it has sharp teeth. Or this monkey from South America, say, what does it eat? And you'd say, by the look of that, anything it wants. <laughs> well, actually, it eats only nuts and fruit and vegetables vegetation it's um, actually a vegetarian and you know most bears do you realize when you look at most bears and they have teeth somewhat like a tiger or a lion uh, most bears are primarily vegetarian I remember when uh, SeaWorld uh, had some signs there I think don't think they have the same sign there now when they had the polar bear exhibit um, there with this sign and it says what do SeaWorld's polar bears eat 
a variety of red meat, but then lettuce, apples, oranges, broccoli, sweet potato, celery, tomatoes, carrots, grapes. In other words, I'll eat all those sorts of fruit uh, and vegetables. There was a, a documentary that was um, produced dealing with the great white shark, and it was a bait test. And so they used squid and tuna and kelp uh, here in Australia uh, to see what the great white shark would do. Watch this little excerpt from the documentary. My crew throws in the bait to begin the test. First tuna, squid, and kelp. Okay, the three baits are in. We've already seen how hard they hit the tuna in Australia. And if scent is a factor at all, the tuna or squid should go first. took a small bite out of the kelp. Incredible. She's coming back around for a second pass. Wow, it went for the kelp again. The shark ignored the tuna and the squid and took the kelp. So we wouldn't think of great white shark eating kelp, right? So when you look at that, just say, oh, now I know what to do. I'll go swimming in the oceans and just strap some kelp to me and uh, if the great white shark comes, it'll prefer the kelp. Well, if you watch the rest of the documentary, it came back and ate the rest. Uh, so, <laughs> need to be warned about that because we do live in a fallen world. But the reason I wanted to show you that is to show you that great white sharks will eat plants. And so will alligators. This is an alligator and it's actually eating kumquats out of a tree. So it's eating fruit out of a tree. We have the idea that alligators you know, and crocodiles wouldn't do that, uh, but they're known to do that. The point I'm making is originally all the animals ate plants. And you see, we live in a fallen world, so we, we can't envisage that because we're used to animals that eat each other and we're used to the aggression that we see because we don't live in a perfect world. So you've got to understand we're living in a fallen world. And you know, it's interesting because in the school textbooks and a lot of the books that you read for your kids, they'll describe teeth this way. These are the teeth of a herbivore. These are the teeth of an omnivore. These are the teeth of a carnivore. I suggest to you it's a wrong way of thinking. It's a wrong way of teaching. Because we, what we should be saying is this. These teeth are ripping teeth or soaring teeth or grinding teeth or, you know, they have all sorts of different possible functions. Today... Because of a fallen world, some animals will use their teeth to eat meat. And so it's a different way of looking at things. It's a different way of teaching. So then we come to the next age, fallen. So we go through formed and then fearless and now fallen. So the question is, what happened? And I get kids to ask that question. What happened? What happened? See, when we look at the world today, it was once perfect, so we need to ask that question, what happened? As an example, I say to the kids, look, you go home, ask your parents for a picture of them when they were teenagers, look at them now, and then ask them the question, what happened? Okay? So what happened was this. What happened was that Adam disobeyed God, and as a result, sin entered the world. Adam, if you disobey, you will surely die. Of course, the serpent came to Eve, and uh, Eve gave the fruit uh, to Adam, who was there watching her. 
And Adam was the one who was given the instruction not to eat the fruit of the tree, which is why Adam gets the blame for sin, not Eve. The Bible says Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned because the instruction was given to Adam as the head, the head of the human race, and as the head of the, the, the woman. And then they realized something was wrong, and they tried to make clothes for themselves. But the Bible tells us God made clothes for them, garments of skins, which really is an explanation of the gospel. Because if, actually the, the first time the gospel is preached is in Genesis 3.15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Your seed, her seed, it shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Bruise his heel. And so therein we know, we look back and understand, oh yeah, that's a prophecy concerning Christ. Well, then when you go to uh, the, Genesis 3 here about the origin of clothes and the first blood sacrifice, that's really about the gospel as well. So the gospel is preached in Genesis, right there in Genesis chapter 3. So death came into the world because of sin. So when you look at the fossil record and see all this death and disease, it couldn't have existed before sin. Romans 8 explains the whole creation groans in pain. Let me just a little aside here say, when you read Romans 5.12, that's specifically talking about man. Because the Bible is about man. The Bible's not about animals. It's about humans. It's about our relationship with God. It's about that relationship that was broken. It's about the promise of the Savior. It's about the gospel. It's about salvation for humans. So the Bible is not about animals. It's not about angels, which is why there's not much about angels in the Bible. There's some. But the Bible is, is about man. It's about us. And so I say that because Romans 5.12 says, By one man sin of the world and death by sin, and so death came upon all men. Because you'll find there'll be, uh, I find Christian academics will say, see, death came to humans because of sin, but death was already there for the animals. Well, that's, that's them trying to get around the fact that you've got all these dead things in the fossil record. But then you have to ask them, okay, but what about diseases like cancer in those bones? Did God say that was very good? And, and God said without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. If you had the shedding of blood millions of years before man sinned, what has the shedding of blood got to do with the remission of sins? So Romans 8 says the whole of creation groans. So if you had all this death and bloodshed and so on for millions of years, what does it mean the whole creation groans because of Adam's sin? Because that's not just talking about man, that's talking about the whole creation. And so you can go through and consistently show that you can't have millions of years of death and disease before sin. Not only that, thorns, thistles came as a result of sin. Actually, in America, I say to them, that's a mistranslation, it's thorns and pickles uh, came as a result of sin. I hate pick pickles. Anything you've got to soak for two million years before you eat it, there is something wrong. That's just revolting. Of course, they say the same about Vegemite. But I tell them, hey, do you realize manna in the Bible, the original Hebrew word means Vegemite. So, <laughs> but there are, there are thorns in the fossil record said to be hundreds of millions of years old. The Bible says thorns came after sin. And so how can you have thorns uh, hundreds of millions of years old uh, if thorns came after sin? So as a result then of sin, Adam, now you're going to earn, have to earn your food and the sweat of your brow, cursed be the ground 
So now we have a problem. Now we have weeds. Now it's hard to get our food. We have to work hard. And so we see that things changed. And so it's totally different to what it was like originally. Animals started eating each other. Maybe they had a turkey roast or something like that. And the world became so violent. I mean, Cain killed his brother Abel. And so you can imagine by the time of the flood, people had rebelled so much that God said uh, every thought of their heart was evil continually. Think about this. We think today's world is bad. I've had people say to me, don't you think today's world is like the world of Noah, Noah's day? I say, no, it's nowhere near it. You think this is bad? Can you imagine what it was like? Noah was a preacher of righteousness and no one believed him. Only, that eight, only eight people went on the ark. Can you imagine what it must have been? I don't think we can imagine what it was like. It must have been incredible. And then you read about Noah as a man of faith and he did everything God commanded him to do. You think about that. Noah in the midst of a world of wickedness where every thought of their heart was evil continually and only Noah's family was saved on the ark and we worry about a little bit of scoffing and mocking we get because we stand on the word of God. Hey, if Noah can do that, we can. That's why he's there in that hall of fame in Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah. Well, God told Noah to build an ark, a great big ship. So now we come to the next age, the flood age. So we've gone through formed, created on day six, the, the dinosaurs, fearless. Uh, there, was, there was no sin, and so all lived in harmony, and they were all vegetarian. Fallen, because of sin, everything changed. So the whole creation changed. Now we come to the flood, and the Bible says two of each kind, seven pairs of some, but two of each kind of land-dwelling, air-breathing animal went on board the ark. So it wasn't the sea creatures. It was the land-dwelling creatures. And two of each kind, not species. And I'm going to talk about that in the next session when we deal with speciation and natural selection. And so to help us understand, uh, we would say kind is more at the family level of classification. So there's one dog family. You only needed two of the dog family on the ark. You didn't need all the species of dogs that we have today. And so when it comes to dinosaurs, you had to have two of each kind of dinosaur. And then people say, but they couldn't fit. They were too big. Well, remember, the average size of a dinosaur is pretty small. In fact, dinosaurs laid eggs. And the biggest egg we found is about the size of a football. These are fossil dinosaur eggs we have at the Croatian Museum. And even Stegosaurus, when he has to have an egg, was pretty small. One dinosaur called a Mosasaurus was the size of a mouse. Uh, I remember when... Buddy Davis, who's our dinosaur sculptor and singer, those of you who know Answers in Genesis will have heard of Buddy, and we are over in uh, North Queensland uh, a number of years ago, and we visited a crocodile farm, and I had Buddy hold the crocodile eggs, and then I asked him to hold the baby crocodile, and then I asked him to hold the mother crocodile, <laughs> and he declined to do that, because in a fallen world, that wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, but yes, the point of that is, Crocodiles start out pretty small, and they can grow to very large creatures. While dinosaurs hatched out of eggs, the biggest egg we've ever found of a, a dinosaur would be about the size of a football. And so dinosaurs started small and grew up. Now, some of them grew to enormous sizes, but only a few. Mainly your sauropods uh, grew to be very, very large. But I suspect God would have chosen young adults to go on the ark. And you can have within any kind, you do have a variety of sizes. 
And so I, I don't think God would have chosen senior citizens to go on the ark to repopulate the new world. Okay? I think he would have chosen young adults to do that. And actually, do you realize that um, even when you look at a T-Rex, the biggest T-Rex skeleton they found is about the size of one of the biggest elephants we found. We don't worry about elephants going on the ark, if you think about it. And so there was plenty of room anyway when you look at the size of the ark, and we'll do more of that in the next session. So when it comes to dogs, you only needed two dogs on the ark. You didn't need all those different species on the ark. So two dogs go on the ark because uh, there's one dog kind. Now with dinosaurs, there's not one kind, right? With dinosaurs, there's multiple kinds. And so you've got... Uh, different kinds, you've got, for instance, a kind that would include the triceratops, the kind that would include the sauropods. Actually, our research indicates probably there's about 80 dinosaur kinds altogether. That would mean 160 what we call dinosaurs going on the ark, of which most of them weren't that big. So you realize it's nothing like what many of us think it was. And so here are the animals going on the ark. Notice the, you always notice my little Australian emphasis I put in things there, like the kangaroo and wombats and koalas and so on. Here's, they are going on the ark, inside the ark. Now, here, here's something that's interesting. At the ark exhibit, we actually have uh, a section dealing with what I call the bathtub arcs. Because I believe that this is one, a major problem in our churches. Most of our children's books, we actually collected children's books, Christian children's books, dealing with the flood account. And if you look at them, look at all the arcs. You notice something about them? They're all those bathtub arcs. Now, people say, well, that's cute. You know, I, I even go to churches where they've had bathtub arcs on the walls, and I have this urge to commit sin and put graffiti over them. Uh, th this is our exhibit here uh, at the ark and we have some teaching there and one of the things we say is this if I can convince you the flood was not real then I can convince you heaven and hell are not real here's the point they may be cute those little bathtub arcs but they're dangerous because you know the you go one of the atheist websites the secular websites you know one of the big accusations against the flood Noah couldn't fit all the animals on the ark Bill Nye brought that up during the big debate Noah couldn't fit the animals on the ark. If you give your kids pictures like that, you've told them Noah couldn't fit the animals on the ark. No wonder they grow up believing what they've heard, that you can't believe the account of the ark. It's just an interesting story. It's mythology. And so what I do at my kids' programs, I say, you know what, I hate those bathtub arcs, right? So we're going to sink the bathtub ark. So I want you to count the three, and then we're going to yell yay. This is what I tell them. I say, I'm going to bring the real-looking ark in, and then we're going to sink the ark, and we all yell out, yay. <laughs> and then we do it again, because I hate those bathtub arcs, and we need to get rid of them, all right? So we are. And also, we need to be reminded that Noah's ark is a picture of Jesus. As Noah and his family went through the door to be saved, so we need to go through that door to be saved. And so when you see our ark there, our life-size ark, and we do this picture here, so we have one door, there it is, that one door of the ark. And so inside, we have a whole exhibit about that door, and we have a cross shining on the door. It's interesting, the cross, actually, it, it's lit by light. We have a, a light uh, that shines through our template, 
and shows up as a cross, but it's done very subtly, and we meant that that way, and it actually shows up more. When you use your cell phone and take a photo, it sh because it's light, it actually shows up more on your photo on your phone than it does in real life. And we've actually had people who have taken photos there, gone home, and sent us an email and said, we took a photo of the door and we got home and a miracle happened. <laughs> a cross appeared on the door. So we have to sort of let them down and say, sorry, but it was actually there. But, uh, but that's why I love for people to get their photograph taken at the door and teach their kids about the gospel. That's what it's all about. Well, then the Bible says, fountains of the deep broke open. Only those people, this is one of the dioramas we have at the museum, only those people that were on the ark uh, were saved. Uh, those people, animals outside the ark, drowned, and you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth, and that's what you find. And then I remind people, see, you can't have all this death and disease in the fossil record before sin. It makes sense that this came after sin. The flood makes sense of the fossil record. And I, when, I, when I talk to kids, I say to them, you realize fossilization is, is a unique event. It's a catastrophic event. I mean, think about it. If you go home and find out your pet cat just died, and the reason I use cats is because I can't stand cats. So you go home and find out your pet cat died. Imagine what would happen if you, if you took it outside, you put your pet cat on the lawn, and you put a sign on there, scientific experiment in progress, dead cat fossilizing, do not touch. And then like a good student, you get out your notebook and you start taking notes. Day one, dead cat on grass. Day seven, smelly dead cat on grass. Day 11, very smelly dead cat on grass. Day 12, bits of cat missing. Day 30, where is cat? Because what happens is an animal decays and rots. It doesn't take long. And, th and other animals can eat them and so on. How do you form billions of dead things preserved in rock layers all over the earth? You'd need a massive amount of mud and a massive amount of water and cover things quickly. The flood makes sense of that. And I help them understand it doesn't take millions of years to make a fossil. There's places in the world where there's special mineral, uh, mineral um, springs and you can put in a, you know, a little toy teddy bear and turn it into a fossil teddy bear. Or go to Tasmania where there's a museum where they have a fossil hat. A miner left it in a mine in about, what, 1830 or so and they came back 50 years later and found it wasn't a soft hat anymore, it was a hard hat. So it doesn't take millions of years for petrification or processes like that. So the, the ark lands and the animals, including the dinosaur kinds, come off the ark. They line up, get their photographs taken. And like typical Americans, they sold T-shirts. Uh, I survived the flood. And so then what happened? Then they started to move out over the earth. Now, people said to me, is there anything in the Bible that could indicate what we call dinosaurs living after the flood? Well, if you go and read Job chapter 40, verse 15, it says... God's talking to Job and he says, there's this creature called behemoth, which I made with you, eats grass like an ox. And everything about behemoth is enormous. Strength in his loins, power in the muscles of his belly, his limbs are like iron. He's the first of the works of God, which, which in many ways seems to indicate he's the largest land animal God made. He has a tail like a cedar. It's interesting, if you look up, for instance, the NRV study Bible, it says possibly a hippopotamus or the elephant. Now, I tell kids, could that be a hippopotamus or an elephant? For a start, it's probably the largest land animal God made, and the elephant or hippo is not that. has a tail like a, a cedar tree. So I spent all, 
all day at the zoo once getting photographs of rear ends of elephants, right? People, people thought I was crazy because they all wanted the elephant to face them. I wanted the elephant to turn around and get its rear end and take photos. And they said, what are you doing? And I said, behold, behemoth. His tail reminds me of a cedar tree. I mean, look at that. There it is. Now, look at those cedar trees right there. They say, no, no, no. So it couldn't be an elephant. must be a hippo. Behold, behemoth. <laughs> yes, I have collected photos of rear ends of hippos to show people that its tail, look, now that's a cedar tree if ever I've seen a cedar tree. See, the Bible says it had a tail like a cedar, which doesn't fit a hippo and doesn't fit an elephant. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it would fit something like a sauropod dinosaur. Now, we can't say for sure it was a sauropod dinosaur. I would say that description does not fit elephant or hippo. But why wouldn't we say possibly a dinosaur? You know why we wouldn't say that? You know why the NRV study Bible notes don't say that? Because they're all influenced by evolution. That's why. And so they're not going to say that because, oh no, dinosaurs died out millions of years ago because they already have that belief. It's interesting. There are some other interesting things in the world like... This is an evolutionist textbook. There is a petroglyph, which is an Indian carving, in Natural Bridges National Monument in Utah that bears striking resemblance to a dinosaur. And uh, so we actually sent someone out there. That's the enhanced version. You see the original there. There's a wax cloth impression of it to show you the size of it. It's interesting. As you look around there, you'll see other carvings. If you talk to the park rangers, what is this? Oh, well, that's a bird. What is this? Well, that's a dog. Uh, what is this? Well, that's a deer. What is this? We don't know. How about dinosaur? Oh no, could never be a dinosaur. Why not? They didn't live with people. Well, that's because they already have their story, their worldview that they're applying to the evidence. I have a different worldview and I say, well, I think it could be a dinosaur because I have a different worldview. And then when you find there's been a number of instances now, in fact, there's a lot more research going on and creationists are doing some of the leading research now on this where they found soft tissue, blood vessels, blood cells, in dinosaur bones, not just dinosaur bones, but in other bones in the fossil record that are supposedly millions of years old, they can't be millions of years old. Uh, they wouldn't have lasted like that. So then we think about the fact that when you came to the auditorium today, you didn't have to worry about one of those creatures crossing the road in front of you. Because then we come to the faded age. So we've gone through formed, gone through fearless, gone through fallen and the flood, faded, in other words, what happened to the dinosaurs? And there's lots of different ideas the evolutionists have. You know, they died of indigestion. They died of overeating. They went on one of those diets you see on TV. Uh, they got hit by an asteroid. They died in the Ice Age. And I tell people, I actually know what happened to the dinosaurs. And it's very simple. It really is. They died. I mean, there it is. We know what happened. That's not a mystery, right? See, dinosaurs are fascinating, but there's no mystery. Think about it from a perspective. If you went to a zoo and talked to people about why do you have endangered species programs? Why? Because this one, there's only a few left in the wild. And this one, there's only some in captivity. And we're losing all these animals. And lots of animals have become extinct. You mean not just dinosaurs? No, not just dinosaurs. Lots of animals have become extinct. Why have animals become extinct? Well, it could be because climates change. It could be because people killing them. It could be because of catastrophes, diseases, killing each other. Oh, what happened to the dinosaurs? Oh, we don't know. It's a big mystery. But see, if you put dinosaurs alongside of Adam and Eve and the other animals and take 
then the account in the Bible and the flood and the ark and after the flood, it's no mystery. It's the same sort of thing happened to them as happened to uh, other animals. And then we come to the next age, which is found. And uh, I like to use this as a teaching point, And that is, when, uh, when were dinosaurs first discovered? And uh, some people will say, well, in the 1800s in England, when they first discovered uh, the bones of dinosaurs, and I say, no, that's when dinosaurs were rediscovered. When were dinosaurs first discovered? Well, what we call dinosaurs were first discovered by Adam because God made them beside Adam. You see, people say, but aren't dinosaurs prehistoric creatures? You know, it's interesting. In churches sometimes I'll say to people, uh, tell me the names of some prehistoric animals, and they'll yell out all sorts of names, and I'll just make a little statement to them. How can you have prehistoric anything when history began from when it was recorded, Genesis 1.1? See, because we're all secularized, we're all evolutionized. And here's another interesting point. You've probably heard of the horseshoe crab, which lives today. And this is horseshoe crab in the Ripley's Aquarium in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, actually. And the sign says the horseshoe crab has survived virtually unchanged for over 300 million years. One of the most ancient living creatures on Earth. They existed 100 million years before dinosaurs and before flying insects and flowering plants. There's a whole list of animals I could give you like this. Uh, they're called living fossils, and actually a lot of the modern animals we have today, their kind is in the fossil record at the same time, according to evolutionists, or before dinosaurs. And the point I'm making is this. You'll be mocked at for believing that dinosaurs could have lived with people, and yet there's creature after creature after creature that's alive today that the same kind, evolutionists will say, live with dinosaurs. And yet they say... You're stupid for believing dinosaurs could have lived with people. You see, it's because they believe dinosaurs evolved into birds. It's, it's, it's one of their big emphases. If you take the chambered nautilus, the chambered nautilus is supposed to have uh, been around for 400 million years. So it's 200 million years before the dinosaurs. Um, there, there was a sign at, at Corumban uh, Bird Sanctuary about crocodiles, and they don't have this sign there anymore, but... Uh, uh, they have a different sign, but it says the crocodile body plan has not changed much in over 240 million years. It's even older than the dinosaurs. So they're happy to have crocodiles living with dinosaurs and crocodiles live with people, but don't dare say dinosaurs could have lived with people. So it, it, it's just illogical. And uh, it, actually, I got a list from... We've, we've got a guy that's done a lot of research in museums around the world. Fossils that are supposed to be uh, the same sort of age as the dinosaurs from 65 to 200 million years, you can go through and list them, parrots and squirrels, and it just goes on and on. They live today, and you actually find them there. What about the Wallamai pine tree? Remember when that was found outside of Sydney, and it was a shock to people because they said, but, but this tree we thought became extinct because it lived with the dinosaurs. Here it is living today. Um, so lots of examples like that. Then we come to the last age, fiction. Fiction. And I, I illustrate it this way. An hour and a half from the Creation Museum is a children's museum in Indianapolis, said to be the best children's museum in America. I tell people, no, the best children's museum in America is the Creation Museum and also the Ark. But if you go to the children's museum, you'll see they indoctrinated millions of years, 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 millions of years. See, our kids are indoctrinated in millions of years. You hear it on TV all the time, they hear it at school, uh, they often see it in the signs at zoos and so on, millions of years, millions of years. And I, I teach kids, I have a special name for dinosaurs. I call them missionary lizards. 
And the reason I call them missionary lizards, when you find a dinosaur bone, it's dead. You agree it's dead? And when you look at a dead bone through the Bible, starting with that foundation, we know that death came into the world because of sin. And we know that everything was perfect, but Adam sinned. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's why we all die, because we're sinners. But God shows his love for us, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And he said, I am the door. If any man enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And so here's what I wanted you to get from this. When we take that foundation in Genesis and the Bible as our foundation for our worldview, then even if you know nothing about dinosaurs except you know they were land animals, all you have to do is take that worldview and say, okay, now let me apply it uh, to dinosaurs. So why do I find fossils of them? Probably the ones buried during the flood. So how old would they be? Well, the flood was 4,300 years ago. So what happened to the dinosaurs? They died out after the flood like lots of animals have. What did they eat? Well, originally before sin, they were vegetarian like all the animals were. See what I mean when you believe that? Now, we're going to do that in, in more depth in the last session uh, after lunch when I'm going to deal with the origin of so-called races and go into that in a bit more detail and show you one of the reasons I believe, see, the church should be leading the way in regard to dealing with racism and prejudice. Why is not the church leading the way? Again, if we don't teach generations to think foundationally, starting with that history in Genesis, we won't know what the answers are. But when you have that foundation, you've got the answers and the answers for the world. That's why we need to get back to the authority uh, of the word of God. And when you look at... Um, those uh, resources out there, you'll notice we have, because dinosaurs are probably used more than anything to convince kids of millions of years in evolution, so we got the book Dinosaurs for Kids, there's some other books on dinosaurs uh, out there as well, we've got answers about dinosaurs in the Answers book, I think Answers book one uh, deals with that, uh, we've got them in the kids' answers books, and we have even little rhyme books for little kids so that they know the truth about dinosaurs using the Bible as a foundation for your worldview. So with that, I'll hand back and uh, people are going to go and eat and you're allowed to eat meat because Genesis 9.3 says you can eat everything.